Welcome to the Lingostown Life Podcast, where our community seeks to love God and love others. Here you'll find timely teachings, important conversations, and encouraging devotionals to improve your life and help you deepen your faith. When I was in my mid-twenties, just a couple years out of college, I moved to Seattle, Washington. Now, I am a pastor's kid, a United Methodist pastor's kid, which means that I grew up all around our conference in central Pennsylvania, and I was always a part of the churches that my dad was a part of, right? I could never choose for myself where I wanted to worship. I just went with wherever my family was sent, uh, much like my own kids now. Um, But when I moved to Seattle and was out on my own, I did something that I was really excited to do that I had never done before. I got to go church shopping. (laughs) How many of you were church shopping when you landed here at Linglestown? Some of you, yeah. Some people don't like that phrase, but really looking for a church, right? So I looked up online all of the United Methodists that were close to me in the city of Seattle, And I wrote them all down, and I made a plan for how I would visit each one, and I didn't have a car, so I figured out the bus routes to get to all of them. And each one was friendly, truly, truly. They had greeters like there was today. They had snacks available that we all enjoyed after the service. Um, United Methodists all across our country really love to have snacks um, as a part of worship and coffee. Uh, there, There was one church, though, that I saved for last, Trinity United Methodist. And my closest coworker was a member there. She invited me on my very first day. She picked me up from the airport and actually invited me in the car. Um, And it was blocks away from my house. It was within walking distance. I could get there very easily. And I had a feeling that I would love it just as much as my coworker did. So I saved it for last because I wanted the church shopping experience, right? I didn't want to just love the church and stay there and never experience anything else. Trinity welcomed me just like all the other churches did, Um, but I was invited to join a group that was there for lunch at a local restaurant after the service. And at that lunch, the lay leader, his name was Todd, took a special interest in me. He sat right next to me um, for the entire meal, asking me about my life, telling me about what he loved at Trinity, sharing about his own life as well. Um, And Todd and the others who sat around that post-church lunch table with me made me want to go back to Trinity again. And they made me want to make it my home church for the time that I was there. Todd's conscientious attention made me feel connected and known in a place that was very far away from home, in a place where I didn't know a whole lot, but he made me feel known. I wonder... When was the last time that you felt connected and known? Has there ever been a time, after a lot of change in your life perhaps, where you walked into a new situation and you met a person or a community who truly valued you? We find that kind of connection in the scripture that I've chosen for today that I want to read from all of you. It's a story from the book of Ruth. Right in the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and I believe the verses are going, they are, on your slide, so you can follow along um, in your head as I read it. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had had consideration for his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, those 18 verses are just the beginning of a much larger and meaningful story in this little book of Ruth. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about the context of the story, some of the things that aren't written in it, for us to get a better grasp of what is going on here. So the story begins with tragedy and famine in the land of Judah. Elimelech and Naomi have a typical Israelite family. They're forced to move to Moab because of the famine. And what the text doesn't talk about, though, is the strained relationship between Moab and Judah. If we go back in history to um, Abraham in Israelites' history, we find that the Moabites are part of Abraham's extended family, 
but born out of incest. And so in the earlier books of the New Testament, the Moabites are not spoken about in a positive light. They're real enemies of Israel. And so you can imagine how difficult it would be for this family to be forced to move to Moab and kind of the, the shame that would be brought on from having to do that. And then the tragedy continues, right? Elimelech dies. Naomi now, as a woman in a patriarchal society, depends on her sons to take care of her and protect her. And the sons decide to marry Moabite women. And so that shows that the Moabites and the Israelites were able to maybe start to live peaceably together and even intermarry with one another. But then, after living in Moab for 10 years, both of the sons die. And now there's these three widows. And in the ancient world, three widows, even one widow without family, means a life of poverty. So Naomi hears that the famine's over back home. She decides to return. <clears throat> and as widows themselves, it would be normal for Ruth and Orpah's family to have responsibility to take care of them now. So Naomi would head back home to where her family is in Judah now that the famine's over, and they will go with their family. They're Moabites. They'd stay with their family. But Ruth and Orpah first insist on going with her. And we might think in our own 21st century minds, right, that isn't that kind of sweet that they want to stay with their mother-in-law and how they might have a surprisingly good relationship. My mother-in-law and I have a great relationship, but sometimes, you know, daughters and mother-in-laws don't always get along, um, but they do. But here is why this is all pretty odd. In Israelite marriage law, when a woman is left widowed, the brother of her husband or cousin, if there isn't a brother, is to marry the widow so that the male line continues to go. And so even if the first son that they have together, this brother or cousin of the husband who died, if he and his new wife would have a son together, the son would take the name of the woman's first husband. Now that might sound completely absurd and odd to us, but in a male-dominated society, this protected single women who didn't have a good chance of surviving without a husband. So Ruth and Orpah don't have this backup plan, right? Both of the brothers have died. And so to go with her, to go with Naomi, would be completely, absolutely foolish, because then um, they will remain alone. And so Orpah decides to go back to her home, and sometimes I think she gets a bad reputation for this. We think, oh, she left her mother-in-law alone. However, knowing all the information that we know now, Orpah was the smart one, right? She did what was best for her, and she followed Naomi's instructions. But Ruth, she's the stubborn one, really. She's going to leave her own family to be with Naomi in this foreign land, to travel with her, both as widows, in between countries traveling, before there was GPS to tell you how to get there, in the ancient world. Verse 14 says that Ruth clung to Naomi. And if you look at the original Hebrew word of clung, that verb, you'll also see it used way back in Genesis chapter 2 in the creation story when humans are created, where the author says, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, 
and they become one flesh. So that verb clung is so powerful. It shows just how serious Ruth is about following her mother-in-law and choosing her over a new life with someone else. And of course you heard Naomi will have none of this, right? Ruth is adamant though. And we hear that famous line that you may hear at weddings where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. But this is not about a beginning happy life together, right? This is Ruth's vow to Naomi. And there is no question that she is going to leave her alone. She's in this until the end. Ruth really astounds me here. Like I said, I love my mother-in-law, but if I were left widowed without any children, I would go back to my parents, without a doubt. And there are two things that I think would keep Ruth from going with Naomi in this. Ruth is a woman, and Ruth is also a foreigner. So Ruth, Ruth is a woman, and Naomi instructs them to return home so that they could have husbands and security that comes with husbands. She actually prays that God would give them security. The Hebrew word for security, I'm sorry, I like looking at the original um, words that are written and, and what they mean. The Hebrew word for security includes a sort of settled rest of being at home. And so their best hope for safety and prosperity is to find new husbands, to create a family, and then to do that as soon as possible, right? For a woman, the time is ticking. Their whole purpose is to produce children, right? That's what was supposed to happen. But from the looks of it now, Ruth is giving all of that up to follow Naomi. So Ruth is a woman and she's also a foreigner, which means that it's pretty dangerous for her. She's in a dangerous position. <clears throat> and the author of this book seems to give real attention to Ruth's nationality here. She can't just be Ruth. If we read on a few verses after I stopped reading in verse 22, it says, So Naomi returned with Ruth the Moabite her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. Just in case you didn't catch any of that before, the author makes it clear. This woman is a foreigner going to a strange land where she may not be welcome. And that's enough to make someone, I think, want to go back to where they came from, especially after all that they had been through, right? Naomi is the one that is used to being left behind losing her husband and both of her sons and the land that they migrated to during the famine. She urges Ruth to go back to the life that she once knew, to go back to where she may be able to start life over, maybe have some sense of normalcy, right? Ruth shows her that she'd rather be in community with her mother-in-law, cultivating a relationship with her that's authentic and real and connected and has depth than anything else that she might return to. I wonder if, like Naomi, you have ever felt left behind, or if you've ever felt disconnected. I wonder if you've ever wanted to just go back to the way that life used to be. There have been so many changes in all of our lives for over three years now, maybe even before that for you. <clears throat> and now we're coming to the end of another change as Pastor George has retired and you're now meeting me after a day that we've been waiting for for months and it's here now, it's starting, it's real. 
But maybe some of us are nervous. Maybe as we got ready for church this morning, we're like, I don't know what to expect from this new pastor. We're going to see. Maybe skeptical or unsure. And that feeling can be uneasy, right? And I think it's uneasy because as human beings, we thrive on routine. I've only been here for two weeks, but I'm already trying to find routine in the midst of all the change that has happened, right? We like to have meal plans. We like to have schedules and routines to make it through the week. And it seems like we have this innate need to fill our calendars, right, with activities and practices and rehearsals. Some of us like to be busy even in the summer, right? We do not want our kids to be sitting in front of the TV. They're going to go to this camp and this camp and this activity and this park, right? We want to fill their calendar up in the summer. We have our own schedule to balance with work and meetings, and the feeling of being full or overwhelmed just never seems to end sometimes. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Many of the things that we fill our schedule with are very good. But I wonder if we ever try to fill our schedules and our calendars with stuff so that we might avoid feeling left behind or disconnected. What would it look like if instead we would fill our calendars with opportunities Opportunities of authenticity and connectedness. Opportunities to deeply know the people that are around us. I look forward to opportunities to deeply know each of you. As Americans, too, we live in the culture where we not only fill up our calendars, but we have this rugged individualism that we thrive on, right? We're told that we need to take control of our own lives without anyone else. Society tells us to be self-sufficient, to worry about ourselves and not anyone else. But I think the church has an opportunity to tell a different story. I chose this particular story and Ruth to share with all of you today because I wanted to have a conversation with all of you about my own view or theology of the church that you all are probably, you know, wondering about. How do I feel about the church? And I believe that the church has the capacity to meet people when they feel most abandoned and alone. My favorite book in the New Testament is the first letter of Corinthians. Um, And you'll probably hear me more talk about Corinthians because I love it so much. I will inevitably preach on it. That church has so many problems, but it's so exciting to read what Paul says to them. Um, Paul instructed that early church, on how they work best together as the body of Christ. We each are a part of that body, and we work best when we work side by side with one another. We need each other to function when one part isn't there. When you aren't here, something is missing. Church is a place to belong, but also a place to find your unique place in the world. Well, it's now been 12 years since I lived in Seattle. I've been on the East Coast for over a decade now, and it was a time in my young adulthood life when things seemed to be in constant flux all the time. I had just spent a year and a half before Seattle abroad. I lived in South Africa for a year and a half, 
And then I only spent a few weeks back in Pennsylvania when I moved across the country um, to Seattle. And I was living by myself for the first time, which was something completely new without any roommates at all. And my time there was limited. The program that I was in was three years total. And so I was doing the second half of the program in Seattle for a year and a half only there for 18 months. And so when the people of Trinity first met me, they knew that my time was limited and they could have just kind of passed me by. Oh, she's not going to be here long. She's just passing through. But I wasn't. The people of that tiny church embraced me. They invited me to lunch. They then invited me to join the choir. And all along, they wanted to connect with me for as long as I was there and to deeply know me, even though I wouldn't always be a part of their community. And my life would have been pretty lonely and a lot less full if I had not known them and went there. Change was all around me, but I knew that in order to find community and a space to belong, I needed a church. For my whole life, I don't know what I would do without the church, honestly. It's just been a part of my life since birth. <clears throat> and it is family to me. And so today, I feel as if I am gaining a new part of my family. Truly, truly. Church is where I find wholeness. And I believe that it is in this community that all people can find where we belong. I am so very excited to get to know each of you and your stories, and I'm so very excited for all that God will do here as we begin this new chapter of our journey at Linglestown Life together. I invite you to read the rest of the book of Ruth if you have not, or if it has been a long time. You could probably read it in one sitting because it's very short, and it has a happy ending. It doesn't just end where I ended it. Uh, Ruth and Naomi are an amazing example <clears throat> of devotion and love to one another. They went beyond cultural and religious norms, and they embraced one another. They made room for one another. Theologian John Holbert describes their relationship in this way. He says, in short, Ruth is very much like the Yahweh she has chosen to embrace, a Yahweh who will never depart from us, and will forever offer us an unbreakable love that will never leave us alone. Our wholeness comes from God's grace and God's love that was most perfectly seen in Jesus Christ. In Christ, you are already deeply known. Christ knows the brokenness and the pain and the wounds that are all around us, but in Christ, we are made whole. And that's what we find at this table here. And so I invite you as we prepare to come to this table and to share in communion together um, to pray with me. Thank you for joining us on the Linglestown Life podcast. If this message was meaningful to you, we hope you will leave a review and share it with others. If you want to know more about our church or would like to attend a service or community event, find out more on www.lingostownlife.org. God bless you, and may you go forth and love God and love others.